You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. Randy the Ram gets a shot at the Ring of Honor World title. This and more. This is pure a Ring of Honor retrospective podcast here on the Count Out Podcast Network. Once again, welcome to Pure, a Ring of Honor retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Sean Taggart, bringing you the world of Ring of Honor from 2002 to present. We are gearing up for another episode talking about Supercard of Honor. We're looking at 2009 Supercard of Honor 4, a show that really showed the change in guard and direction that Ring of Honor was taking. No longer are we going to be looking at guys like a Nigel McGuinness or Brian Danielson leading the charge. So new champion was crowned that night, and really, um, yeah, it wasn't exciting. Uh, this was probably the beginning of what many people thought of the end of Ring of Honor in terms of going out of your way to making sure that you catched every show. Um, big shows were pretty much really a lot of people's way to stay current with the product. This was also um, the beginning stages of the HDNet era, so you would see a little bit different presentation here in uh, Ring of Honor, as well as more of a generic flow in terms of music. No longer would you hear Brian Danielson coming out to Final Countdown. Like I said, it was just very generic, basic uh, music that was probably free use. So this was very different than what you were used to in previous uh, encounters and previous episodes here on Pure. Um, did it shy away from the ROH style? No. I mean, you did still see a lot of hard-hitting action. You did see a lot of back and forth. You did see a lot of what made ROH tick. But really, at the end of the day, you're here to see pure wrestling and really nothing else. Sure, you wanted to see some of your favorite wrestlers you know, do their character bits and stuff like that. But this was a direction sharp left, I would say. This wasn't a long-term direction. And we also get to see somebody so red-hot as a Tyler Black still not get his flowers and get his chance to truly shine in Ring of Honor and why this is really starting to become a little too late for him. Uh, we would see him in a tag match with Necro Butcher against Austin Aries and Jimmy Jacobs at the semi-might event aspect point of the show. We'll talk about that match and more. But this was a change of the guard. Um, this was a change of what people liked about Ring of Honor. This was a big turning point for the company. Um, and it led down to some very strange decisions in the future uh, with the company too. So we'll just start right into it. A um, couple things to note. There were two dark matches. Alex Payne and Andy Ridge had faced uh, Ernie Osiris and Ninja Brown. Uh, Ridge and Payne won that match and then the team of Grizzly Redwood and Bushwhacker Luke faced Andy Dalton and Don Juan Bush, Bushwhacker Luke and uh, Grizzly Redwood uh, won those matches so you know those are on the DVD but I really didn't want to spend some time talking about that really wanted to go into the full show itself and it really starts you know with Nigel talking about you know, the fans stopped liking him. The fans really didn't like him as champion anymore. They didn't want him to be champion. He, um, you know, he thought about giving up and not continuing on. But what's the point? Let's give these fans what they want. Let's make sure 
that he brings out the best, and he's going to take down uh, the old guard tonight in Jerry Lynn in the main event for the Ring of Honor World title and prove why he is truly the best wrestler in the world. So we already have strong proclamations here from Nigel McGuinness, somebody who really wants to take it and really drive home that he is the best in the world. Um, he's going to prove it by still retaining the Ring of Honor championship. But, I mean, you go here, you can already sense some of the changes here. Um, we do open up with a match between uh, Rhett Titus and uh, Eric Stevens. It was, it was a match. I mean, it was okay. Uh, not a lot really going on here. This is the whole addicted to love Rhett Titus who was, you know, flaunting around different aspects of his body, really trying to showcase that he is a lover, not a fighter, but also could give a good pounding when he needed to. Uh, Eric Stevens never truly got the credit he deserved for being a strong wrestler, a very good wrestler, under the tutelage and, you know, the backbone of Roderick Strong. They came up together and really had some classic fusion moments in uh, FIP, RRH's uh, former uh, sister promotion. But this was really all about how, you know, Ring of Honor um, was really changing in the way the styles are. You know, you focus here on Rhett a little bit. Um, the crowd ate up Rhett for this gimmick and really chewed him out and spit him out and just shit on him during this entire match, calling him a virgin, whatever the case you may have. Uh, really, you know, stuff in the crowd that wouldn't probably be tolerated in these day shows. But one thing, too, is, you know, Eric Stevens really tried his best to, you know, use those power moves and do everything that he could. The shame about Eric Stevens is I don't think the fans really understood that he was just, you know, your straight brawling wrestler. There wasn't really anything to truly write home about with Eric Stevens. Very good wrestler, but he really didn't bring any much more character to the table. He was just your straight, I'm going to go out there, kick the shit out of you, pin you, and leave. And pretty much that's really what he did in this match here. Uh, Rhett did get some offense in, but it really didn't matter. At the end of the day, Eric Stevens took the advantage and got the three count for the win. We go into our second match. It's a six-man tag team match, and there's a little backstory here. We do have Sweet and Sour Inc., the team of Chris here on one half of the American Wolves, uh, Eddie Edwards with Incognito, taking on Jay Briscoe, Kevin Steen, and Magno. This is a nice uh, tag, six-man tag match here. Uh, the story here is Steen wants to go back after the American Wolves, especially Eddie Edwards, for attacking him and his partner, El Generico, with the chair. Steen and Generico currently your Ring of Honor tag champions. Briscoe does have some history, Jay Briscoe, that is, with the American Wolves, too, as they put uh, Mark on the shelf with a chair attack as well. Um, Incognito and Magna um, are just here, or Magno are here um, as your uh, international talent in this match. And right off the bat, this um, match goes south really quick as the top rope breaks after Magno tries to jump off it and do some sort of cutter or some type of Springmore move. And from there, you see Sweet and Sour Inc. and Incognito try to choke out Magno here. And it really was just them taking advantage of the lack of the top rope and using it to their advantage. Uh, Steen uh, Briscoe uh, came over there to pull him off to get the match back started. But you could see some, especially with the Luchadors in this match, they really had some struggles really getting the match going for themselves, especially since they didn't have the top rope to really do most of their moves. So they were a little grounded and hesitant in the style and the emotion that they were trying to portray and they were trying to get done in this match. So it really hurt from what they could have done. 
it was mainly just the tag match between uh, Hero and Eddie Edwards and uh, Jay Briscoe and Kevin Steen. And in that itself, if you look at it from that standpoint, it was a pretty decent match anyway. But at the end of the day, the Sweet and Sour Inc. team and Incognito got the victory over Magno, uh, Kevin Steen, and Jay Briscoe. Like I said, if it wasn't for the other four in this match, this would have been a big, big undertaking for Incognito and Magno to really get their spots off. Like I said, a very much easy amount of hesitation here. Just a lot of, you know, not sure what to do. They tried to do moves off the second rope, which was now the top rope, but they really couldn't get anything done here. Just a very disappointing way to get this show started, and this was a very, very interesting show to begin with. Coming into this, there's a lot of questions about what was going to go on, what is the future of Nigel McGuinness, as we know at this time, too, with Nigel. There's a lot of problems with his bicep, tricep, you name it, it was injured on him, so he was being held by tape. How long? How much longer could he last? Um, was giving the title to somebody like a Jerry Lynn the right decision for the overall health and future of this company? So there were some decisions into that that they had to think about and what the right decision was. We'll talk about that at the end after we talk about the main event. We go into our next match here. It is another um, good match here between Roderick Strong and Kashuko Nakajima. This is a very nice uh, introduction to somebody from No who didn't really get a lot of chances to shine, except for some of the Japan tours in Ring of Honor. Uh, didn't really focus on him bringing him into the States. But this match here, you know, working the leg again. A lot of people know that most of uh, Roderick Strong's offense comes from his backbreakers, which usually take, you know, a lot of torque away from his knees. So if you take out his knees, he really can't. Uh, get some moves out of the, his system that he normally would do. But he has become, at this point in his career, a little bit more of a well-rounded performer, doing a little bit more. You could tell that they're building up Roderick for something special, whether it be now or a few years from now, we'll t time will tell. But you get to see a lot out of Strong in this match in terms of showcasing how good of a well-rounded performer he became looking at him putting on some holds and doing a little bit more in terms of his strikes, doing a little bit more in terms of his um, ability to, you know, throw on a submission, do a little bit more uh, of a submission hold and move maneuvers back and forth with an opponent, really taking over and becoming more of a match general. I think his, you know, if you look back on his matches with Brian Danielson in 2006, we talked about it a few weeks ago here on the show. Um, it really brings out, you know, how just good of a wrestler Brian is and how much Roderick Strong took the time out to learn how to become a better wrestler and more of a well-rounded wrestler. So this, uh, you know, evolution and continued growth of Roderick Strong is shown here. And it's a very good thing to have as somebody who becomes somewhat of a focal point and Mr. ROH to many as the years came, you know, growing in his ROH career for Roderick Strong. Um, just a very good match here. Strong does get the victory, uh, which is not a surprise, but a nice back and forth and a nice showcase match here for both the Noah and Ring of Honor uh, wrestlers and for the traveling crowd that came here to take a look at this uh, WrestleMania weekend show. We go on to a four-corner survival match or just a fatal four-way match. Uh, we do see the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion Blue Demon Jr., 
uh, face Brent Albright, El Generico, and Claudio Casignoli. This is also an interesting time for Casignoli's uh, time in Ring of Honor. He's at that point where, you know, he could be a top wrestler. He had that big feud with Brian Danielson to get him more into involved with the title picture. So you got to see him really showcase his heel style, really become a full-rounded competitor here for Ring of Honor, you know, someone that they could rely on put in a spot main event when needed, really focus on building him up and trying to become a serious contender, at least for the world title. It really never panned out for him. Um, becoming world champion and that really any major company that he's been in which is a shame because you look at um, Claudio Castagnoli you look at Cesaro uh, whatever you want to call him he is a very good um, wrestler Um, he is someone that you can trust putting into a spot and delivering Um, it's a shame that he doesn't get the that chance to shine and showcase his ability now but at the time in the Ring of Honor, he was given more of an opportunity. I would say even more so than Chris Hero. Chris Hero was still, you know, involved with Sweet and Sour Inc. at the time. Uh, Claudio was really on his own at this point, really just trying to become a more well-rounded, more, you know, honest wrestler with himself, really trying to figure out just who he should be and figuring out, you know, how to become one of the best in the world where you have so much talent in this, how to stand out, how to really take off and jump to that next level and that's something that he did in this short period of time i mean you know things change as we see he gets shuffled back into the kings of wrestling uh tag team with chris hero which isn't a bad thing um as that really brought out some more of the better matches in his back half of his ring of honor career but for the short period of time that he had this chance to really shine and develop as a future player here in ring of honor he took the ball and ran with it very well um, it's a shame that he never could become anything more than a spot main eventer. Uh, I feel like he could have done some damage as a champion here in Ring of Honor, but I digress enough. And we go back to this match. This was just, you know, good for distinct different styles here. Albright and Claudio, more of your power uh, heavy hitters in this match. And you have Blue Demon Jr., who is more of a technical, well-rounded high flyer. And El Generico, um, who likes to fly around and do some crazy spots in itself. This was a very good match. This um, really brought the crowd back into it uh, alongside the uh, Roderick and Nakajima match as I feel like you were going into it. And I think the tag match really took a lot of people out. They really weren't hot and heavy in for the Red Titus-Eric Stevens match. So the past two matches really did a lot here. Really just showcased how good these guys could be. Um, And they're all four very talented individuals who can bring out the best of one another. Then also showcase, you know, how good they are of working the crowd and getting the crowd back in so they were hot for this match. Brett Albright, to me, was a very interesting choice at this time in Ring of Honor. I feel like, really, he really couldn't stand out and get the opportunity he deserved here. Uh, I feel as if he had a lot of the WWE stench in terms of how he was built into wrestle and stuff like that. That, you know, some of the stuff that he did here didn't land with the audience, and the audience had no problem letting him know that it didn't land. It was one of those things where you had to look at it from a big picture and realize that he wasn't going to be the star that Ring of Honor wanted him to be, but they had no problem trying to force it down your throat, especially at the time that he was really getting featured a little bit more. This is during the Adam Pierce era of Ring of Honor. Uh, Gabe Sapolsky has been out since October 2008, so Pierce took over the reins and really decided to you know, change it up a bit and really showcase what they could do. 
Uh, but I really don't feel as if, you know, putting a lot of leverage and backing into some guy who didn't look comfortable most of the time in the ring uh, with some of these guys as they were, you know, late years and they could lap him anytime they wanted to, just a lot better technically in the ring. I just feel as if, you know, Albright wasn't the guy to look at and go, yeah, he could be something here in Ring of Honor, where clearly the fans, and I think even himself, didn't want that spotlight. So this match ended uh, with a nice win for Claudio here, you know, carrying that momentum a little bit forward and really showing himself as a top star here. But honestly, he was always going to be rungs above some of the other guys here. And as other guys got pushed forward, Claudio just wouldn't get the chance to really stand out and showcase what he could do. And it just really, you know, it was sad that he got pushed back into a spot where, you know, he wasn't as prominently featured as he deserved to be. Uh, pushed back into the tag team scene, reunited with Chris Hero. And, you know, the rest is history. They did put on uh, good moments as a tag team again, as bringing back the Kings of Wrestling. They did a really good job with that. But Claudio here really showcased that he could be more than just a tag team wrestler, uh, that he could be more than a, you know, secondhand player. He could be more... Um, then, you know, a fill-in, he could be that guy for your company. And right now doing it in WWE, he's pretty much, you know, second fiddle. He's always been second fiddle. Never given the true opportunity to shine and run for it as many people wanted to push for him and really give him that opportunity to shine and showcase his ability. Uh, it just never happened. Um, and it's a shame. But moving forward, we get our special attraction match for Brian Danielson. I mean, it's him and Alex Kozlov. A lot of USA, Russia chants back and forth. Kozlov, obviously, from Russia. They're doing a lot of commentary, especially Lenny Leonard, uh, talking a lot about Hacksaw Jim Dungan uh, with the USA chances. You know, really jokey here. This is pretty much one of, if not close to the final show that... Uh, Ring of Honor has with this team of Lenny Leonard and Dave Prezak. Prezak stays around a little bit longer um, and cause at least till the end of 2010 before they transition into uh, to Kevin Kelly. But, you know, you could tell um, Lenny wasn't too thrilled with some of the direction and some of how things panned out with Gabe, uh, things panned out with WWE in general. But he was there, you know, he did his professional best to really highlight and showcase and put over some of these guys with this commentary but some of the banter back and forth between Dave and Lenny you could tell at least Lenny was slightly checked out especially with him constantly bringing up Hacksaw Jim Duncan talking about how you know the hoe thing and then also you know them getting into the Russia USA chance um Kozlov you know they talk about his time in CMML, uh, which then they said that he recently jumped over to the AAA promotion, uh, which is getting him a little bit more notoriety and buzz. And you can see a lot of the people in this audience know who Kozlov is. Uh, there's a team with him and uh, Rocky Romero. They become the forever hooligans here in uh, Ring of Honor and also New Japan Pro Wrestling when they go over there for the junior division. But a really good uh, match here. Not a lot of love from the cage match audience, which is surprising here because I feel as if this match really did showcase a good amount of stuff where you could say, like, you know, they worked very well with one another technically. I don't know if a lot of the 
back and forth, the crowd at reaction and stuff like that, and the crowd just hijacking the match with some of the chants during it really soured on some of the fans over on Cage Match. But if you take out the crowd, if you take out Lenny and Dave on this match, it's a very good match between uh, two very well-rounded technical wrestlers. Uh, Brian gets the win here, which isn't a surprise. Um, as we are winding down the days to Brian's uh, end in Ring of Honor. Um, as we all know, this was his last year in Ring of Honor before signing with WWE and going over there, being part of that game show NXT program. But you really get to see a lot of fun back and forth, a lot of fun technical wrestling. And honestly, you get to see two guys that just really love to wrestle, uh, put on you know some special matches here put on some special moments here and giving the crowd you know a little fun usa russia rivalry uh with their chants and stuff like that and i do feel as if um you know brian did a lot at the end of his run in ring of honor especially in this back half of ring of his ring of honor uh career where he would help you know he would still win but he would give a lot to these guys that he was facing he would see that on some of the matches that would go on on uh HGNet on the Ring of Honor's TV show that they had on HGNet. You would see that in some of the events here. And again, just pointing out here, no final countdown. As we all know, they had to use some free licensed music when they were with um, HGNet. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were going to show some highlights from this event that the, the music had to be somewhat generic to allow it on TV without any copyright issues. Um, so that was interesting just because, you know, you had... At this time, Brian doing the final countdown thing still. Um, you had Austin Aries coming out to Weezer's Greatest Man That Ever Lived. You had some guys coming out to some very notable songs that you just couldn't hear anymore. Olay by the Bouncing Souls for El Generico. It was very weird hearing his music played during his match, and it wasn't Olay. Um, even though the crowd started chanting and still chanted Olay, it just wasn't that song. Um, it would surprise many, but... You look here, Brian's doing his best, even while winning, putting over the guys that he's in the ring with, and it's, you know, a respectable effort. It's a very good match to, you know, I think worthwhile to take a second to check out. Um, not the match of the show, in my opinion. That comes a little bit later on in the show, but very good performance by these two men here who really sent the crowd home a little bit happy and excited for, you know, what was next. We go on here and we move forward to D'Lo Brown. Yes, D'Lo Brown facing Cole Cabana. This was as very much a TV match as you expect with these two guys. Cole, you know, two years removed, uh, or actually a few months removed from his time in WWE as Scotty Goldman. So really him getting back into the independent waters. He comes out to his new theme song, which isn't, uh, have an issue with you know the TV people. I think he gave rights to them to use it for their TV show on HGNet. So you had him coming out to what he uses still to this day on the independents. Um, and then you had D'Lo Brown come out here. It, like I said, a very good TV match. A lot of back and forth here. You could tell Colt was still in the mindset that you know he would be back on TV someday. So he still wanted to work that style while still having a little bit of fun in his you know. Youthful, youthful energy that he would normally have. It was a very good um, back and forth. There was a point in the match where Colt put on the Billy Goat's curse, and the way that Paul Turner was positioned, he did not see uh, D'Lo Brown tap. 
Uh, Colt lets go and puts his hands up, but Paul Turner gets frustrated and takes his hands down and said that he did not tap. He didn't see it. While Colt's arguing about that, there's some back and forth. Uh, you, you look at him going for, you look at D'Lo hitting the low down, uh, which doesn't happen, or he does happen, but then he tries to hit the low down, um, uh, and, or the top rope uh, frog splash move that he does doesn't happen, pushes him over, and while Colt's slowly to get on, you do see uh, D'Lo do the very TV-ready uh, weapon maneuver, putting on the uh, brass knuckles around his uh, fist, and as Colt jumps down, runs right into the brass knuckle fist, and gets the and D'Lo gets the three count, which the crowd does not like. This match here was as TV as TV gets. The ref being dumb doesn't see what Cusco is on. Like I said, this was a very different show for Ring of Honor in terms of you didn't see what made Ring of Honor special. You didn't see like the the work rematches. Sure, you did have some of them, but it wasn't throughout the show, which I think you started noticing because yes, they did have you know their weekly TV programs, and even beforehand, you know Ring of Honor would have storylines that would carry over to show to show, but they made it a point to really focus some on those TV storylines and really focus on bringing out some of that stuff, which I think in terms of the hardcore Ring of Honor audience, started to sour on a lot of people. Um, you, you know, it really started to take out a lot from a lot of people. Just really disappointing um, stuff. And I think frustrated a lot as they were expecting one thing and they got another. So we get back into the wrestling aspect of the show and we get into um, the uh, title match here for the NOAA GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship between champion Kenta and his student, Davey Richard, who's accompanied by his tag team partner, Eddie Edwards. So here, this is a good showcase of teacher versus student. As we all know, uh, during his time in Japan, uh, Davey took a lot of undertaking and was under the tutelage of a Kenta who taught him pretty much everything that he should know. There wasn't, as the uh, commentary team of Lenny Leonard and Dave Prey said, while Dave Richards probably told Eddie Edwards everything he does know, Kenta told him everything that he should know, which is apparent in this match here, as there were a lot of things that I think Davey was ready for, and Kenta really focused on being a step ahead in this match, and it really showcased how just well of a wrestler and how, at one point, Kenta was really one of the best in the world at what he did. Um, and it's a shame that that's gotten away from him a little bit. I think his time in New Japan has made a lot of fans remember just as good as he was. Um, but, I mean, that WWE stint, NXT stint just really wasn't what I think he and a lot of others who followed his career closely expected, especially some of his greatest opponents, just like a Brian Danielson or even in this case in Davey Richards. They showcased here themselves as, you know, very good on the strikes. Uh, Kenta just a little bit more heavy with his kicks and, you know, his punches and everything like that. They laid in a bit more or a little more on the heavier side here. Kenta also focused a little bit more, too, on just driving the point home that you know, while he was the um, one in this match that was more, you know, pushed and looked at as the uh, veteran in this match, 
he also had some mistakes in this match that could have cost him here. Uh, Richards really, you know, at some points in the match took over and really showcased just, you know, how great he is as a wrestler. And I think a lot of people forget that Davey, you know, they look at what Davey's troubles were after his time in Ring of Honor and even in some cases, um, you know, during his time in Impact rather than looking at how, you know, Davey is, was one of the best wrestlers in the world, you know, showcased that night in and night out, did whatever he could to really just push himself forward and push himself to being one of the best. And I, like I said, a lot of people forget about that because of the person that Davey Richards is, but you put him, put that person aside. Uh, he was a very good wrestler, still is a very good wrestler running the team ambition school over in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, you, you have a lot of people under his wing right now, a war horse, um, you know, Camaro Jackson, you have 2D Lynn, who really, you know, found her way as a professional wrestler and got her guidance from Davey Richards. So it's good seeing Davey giving back now. But, you know, this was a very good match. Showcased just how much Davey's learned and more from Kenta. And also gave us the ability just to see the magic that is Kenta. At this time, like I said, he was still one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yes, his injuries started piling up around here, but that didn't stop him from showcasing just how good he could be and how good he is night in and night out. This was probably one of my favorite matches, if not the match of the night, in my opinion, on this entire card. Just really good, well-rounded wrestling here. Um, Kenta did retain here, which honestly, if you think about it, wasn't really a surprise to anyone in this match. But it was good to see just how, you know, these two gelled with one another. And I, I feel, you know, sometimes you go into these matches where it's a teacher-student match and it doesn't click as well as you expect. This one clicked. This one, you know, you did see these two, you know, want to hit each other really hard um, with their strikes and do whatever it took to get the victory here. Obviously, Kenta had enough in him to retain which I think annoyed Davey, but at the same time, too, he knew what he had to do next time that they ever faced one another again here. It was a, you know, it was a fun a fun match here, um, sub-20-minute match, but really just gave you, you know, a glimmer of this company could still show you wrestling, though it also did give you a glimmer that this company was going to slowly start shying away from the Noah talent here and really just focus on their own talent uh, going forward. I, you know, their relationship with Noah fizzled out. And for a while, there was no partnering with Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor was just guided on their talent, their promotion, bringing in some of their stars and just working on building them. And that's what happens with a TV product like that. When you go to TV, you can't really focus and guarantee that you're going to be getting the same guys that can work a program for X amount of time uh, when you have to rely on stars from outside of your company. So this is another change that's coming that I think a lot of fans didn't find truly exciting. Um, but this was just the nature of it. A after a while, you did see Ring of Honor understand, like, yeah, I can bring in special talent every now and then. And if I'm lucky, I can get one of these talents to stay over for an extended period of time to work on a story. But most of the stories here in Ring of Honor, especially if you look at their partnership with New Japan, were just focused mostly around the Ring of Honor stars and, you know, someone who didn't maybe have a true story uh, or, you know, they weren't really the main focus would be put into a match with some of the stars that came over. So... We go into our semi-main event here, which is a tag match between Odd Bedfellows, Austin Aries, and Jimmy Jacobs. 
and uh, Necro Butcher and Tyler Black. So, full stop on this. Tyler Black should have been world champion by now. Um, the now Seth Rollins was fed a lot of bullshit, in my opinion, about you know how his things, how things were going to go for him. He stuck it out like any professional would. You know, he still believed in Ring of Honor and what they had to offer. But goddamn, when were they going to give him the title? They should have had him win that number one contender match at Final Battle 2008. And yes, I'm going to jump ahead of myself here. He should have beat Jerry Lynn in that triple threat at Manhattan Mayhem 3. Let's just be real here. Doing all this bullshit around and not giving him that opportunity to shine really fizzled him when he finally did win the title almost a goddamn year later in 2010. And by that time, his foot was already halfway out the door as he got his contract with WWE as well. But, you know, back to this match. This show, this match was really just around could they get along uh, between Austin Aries and Jimmy Jacobs. As we all know, they had a bitter feud throughout the year of 2008, especially the back half of the year of 2008, that culminated in Austin Aries finally winning. And, you know, it was over pretty much the control of Lacey, and we saw how that ended. We'll go into that in a little bit more detail as we get closer to that episode where we just talk about that show itself just because... That's a little bizarre. Um, and at that time, it was like, really? You're going to do it that way? But this was more of can they get along, can they coexist type thing that we get tired of seeing on WWE programming week in and week out with, you know, strange bedfellow tag teams. But they worked together, and, you know, there was a breakdown in this match where the two of them started, you know, punching one another. It was when Aries was going to go for his, you know, patented uh, little showmanship elbow drop here. That uh, Jacobs wanted no part of, and he just wanted him to drop the elbow and get done with. But you know, Austin had to get his done his way, so there was that. Um, Necro Butcher was Necro Butcher. It was you know Necro Butcher was a very good deathmatch style wrestler. For those who don't know a lot about uh, Necro Butcher, this really showcased a different style of Necro. Uh, it was pretty much him without the glass and everything like that. He would still, you know, come in there, grab a table, grab a chair, grab a guardrail, beat each other out. During this time, too, um, Age of the Fall was really slowly fading away into the back. Uh, you know, Jimmy was mentioned as a member of Age of the Fall, but you really didn't see much from them at this time. Uh, Brody, Brody Lee, excuse me, was part of that group. Delirious was still part of that group. There was, you know, some great back and forth between uh, Necro and Brody that were showcased throughout, you know, late 2008, early 2009. But Age of the Fall as a whole was slowly fading into the sunset. This match here, why do you have Tyler lose? Why do you have him take the pin? I don't get it. Um, it made no sense to me. I don't think this is a guy that you really needed to have face adversity. He showcase that he is more than capable of being someone that you can rely and trust they just pulled the trigger way too late on him and like i said by the time they finally did one foot was already out the door as he you know finally got that contract offer from wwe and you know the rest is history with tyler black known as seth rollins now but just at this time this was very questionable uh, and we're going into the main event now which the decision while if you look at a big picture and you look at the health of Nigel McGuinness, like I said, he was being held by tape. Uh, his whole right arm was and shoulder was shot. Um, he, you know, bicep, tricep, shoulder injury on that right arm. He could barely lift it, could barely move it. 
this he was a beaten, broken champ, and he refused to go down and just vacate the belt, which he should have. I think a lot of people would have been okay with him vacating the belt um, as his health came first, but he just refused to. He didn't want to be a champion that quit. Um, you could see Jerry Lynn getting his Randy the Ram moment here from a mile away. Uh, I feel as if this was just a way to not only give... Lynn has just due years years later into his career which I don't think at this point is truly necessary but it just didn't feel like a Ring of Honor main event it didn't feel like giving up the title to somebody who held it for as long as Nigel did to give it to somebody like a Jerry Lynn made the right sense in the world listen if you really wanted to and you didn't want to give it a tire black yet Austin Arias was there Still, you have Brian, who I think purposely didn't want to be in the title picture or something, whatever the case may be. You had Tyler Black himself, who should have been in this picture, who should have probably had this match with Nigel, um, but just didn't. It was a very... Don't get me wrong, the match was good, and I'll, I'll be you know straight with you guys. Jerry Lynn's my number three all-time wrestler. I don't... you know I'm not going to take that away. He's a very good wrestler. He's very good at what he does. It just honestly didn't fit with what everyone expects from Ring of Honor. And sometimes you're just going to have to swallow that hard pill and realize that after an amount of time of watching the same thing over and over again, maybe it's time to move on. And a lot of people were starting to get that hard pill to swallow that maybe this program that they watch and, you know, you had the issues in 04 and then you had the boom in late 04 to, you know, 2008 and then this low period here with uh, Adam Pierce doing the booking, it didn't feel like it was only Pierce doing the booking. And as we all know, you know, uh, Jim Cornette was in the ear, Carrie Silken at times too. So who knows how much, you know, Jim had in the say of this. But this just didn't feel right to me. This didn't feel natural to me. This didn't feel good to me. Um, and it was a shame too because, like I said, I really appreciate the career of Jerry Lynn. I think, you know, he has a lot to give to this business, and he had a lot to give to his business at this time. It just wasn't as champion. Um, Nigel barely could lift his shoulder, barely could do some moves that you know he could do. Um, he fought. He gave it his best chance, but at the end of the day, a cradle uh, pile driver later, match over your new champions, Jerry Lynn. And that was Supercard of Honor 4 from 2009. Does this show hold up today? Sure. I mean, you have some of the capabilities here of seeing this match on Honor Club and parts and matches only. Um, there's some pieces here that, you know, check out the Kenta Davy Richards match. Check out Brian and Alex Kozloff if you can. Two very good matches here. But this is just a change of season, change of the guard, whatever the case you may say here for Ring of Honor that I really don't think was a good one. And I think, as you can see here, I don't think after this show, um, Mr. Pierce was long for the job as Delirious Hunter Johnson took over, was next in line after Adam Pierce. So, I mean, you have a lot of changes coming up for Ring of Honor. And we all know the Hunter Johnson era of Ring of Honor has been a lot of hit and miss, a lot more misses than hits, but enough to keep him around and produce more shows than Adam Pierce and Gabe Sapolsky combined. Uh, it's just a very interesting time in Ring of Honor. 
you know, knowing what we know about Brian leaving, I feel as if they were in a state of flux and panicked with um, Jerry Lynn getting that title uh, win. But you had Tyler Black ready and waiting. You technically had Austin Aries ready and waiting, too. He could have been, you know, a champion again. There was nothing wrong with him being champion again. I just feel, you know, if you wanted a fresh face and you wanted to ignite the Ring of Honor fan base and also the roster... Tyler Black was the way to go, and it should have happened at this show or one of the earlier, you know, shows that Tyler and Nigel fought. Nigel wasn't fit to compete. It, we all know that. But, you know, with that being said, this was uh, another episode of Pure Ring of Honor Wrestling Retrospective Podcast. I do thank everyone for taking the time out and listening yet again this week. It's been fun talking Ring of Honor and sharing my thoughts as we go along in this wild ride and journey. We are going to go into a uh, wrestler-driven uh, episode. We're going to talk about uh, Samoa Joe's first few years in Ring of Honor, 2002 to 2004. On Next time here on Pure, Samoa Joe, another one of the pillars of Ring of Honor. It's only fitting that we talk about him in very, very good detail. A lot of feuds here. I started out as a member of uh, Heavy for the Prophecy and became uh, one of the longest reigning Ring of Honor champions of all time. He had one of the most dominant reigns as champion. We'll talk about that here next time you see me on Pure, uh, Ring of Honor Retrospective Podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. You know, Make sure you listen to all the other shows on Count Out Podcast Network. We appreciate each and every one of you. And once again, thank you for listening. I'll see you next time here. This has been a Count Out Podcast.